do better. Welcome to Do Better Podcast, a digital content hub from Asade, built for minds interested in doing better. Knowledge ideas, perspectives, and research insights on topics that matter. Business advice for better decisions and growth. Latest on the world of innovation and ideas. A look inside a global world beyond borders and an open view on social challenges. You can leave your comments and suggestions on dobetter.isade.edu. Hello, listeners, and welcome to our podcast today. I'm Liliana from the Social Institute for Social Innovation at ESADE, and we have been working for more than one year on a report which has been launched recently, and it's named My, da my Data, My Rules. And the point of that report was to find out what are the alternatives to the digital economy as we know it today. And for that reason, we were looking for initiatives, public and private, that are looking for the empowerment of digi digital citizens. And that being said, today here we have one of, of, of the CEOs that we have been interviewing for, for this process, for this research process. So it is my pleasure to introduce you to David Alexander. Hello, David. Hello, Liliana. Very pleased to be here. Thank you for coming, a pleasure to host you. Um, so David is the CEO of MyDexTick, which is a company which is based in Scotland. And my first question would be, tell us about the origins of MyDex, when it all started and why. We realized that no one was building any tools to help individuals accumulate, store and distribute data and remove friction from their lives. And we thought, why is that? And actually, we've realized that the reason for that is there's an awful lot of organizations gathering lots of data about individuals, but for their own purposes, not for the empowerment and betterment uh, of the individual, but for monetization or data extractivism, I think is a phrase that's growing in popularity. And if you're in California, they call it surveillance capitalism. And if, mm -hmm. in, and if you're in China, they call it state surveillance. Uh, but data is being used as a mechanism of control and influence and uh, management of, of people, whereas individuals have no tools. So we thought, what do we need to do? We need to set up an organization that equips individuals with a set of tools to do that, to collect data, to store it, to redistribute it, and to be able to understand their own lives. Could you share with the audience like one example that help, helps us to understand what the personal data store and what are the benefits that can, they can get in reward? Yes, I, so start with something that everybody has to do at some point in their life, which is fill in in a form. <laughs> and sometimes the form's simple, sometimes it's easy, but in many cases, particularly with the types of things we deal with, with people trying to access public services or apply for a parking permit or get health support or some kind of state benefit, there's a lot of information that they need to put on that form that isn't always easy to get hold of. You may not have a copy, you may not, you may be, your life might be chaotic, you may not have proof about all of these sorts of things. So there's a huge burden uh, on individuals as they uh, have to find that information. Then they have to type it in and hopefully they get it right. And then they have to submit. And then the people that you've given the form to immediately start from a position of not trusting you. So they go away to try and validate everything that you put on the form using some other kind of checking service. So a personal data store allows you to accumulate that data digitally 
in a way that is uh, available to be used to remove form filling. But it also brings with it the proof about that data. So it's not just that it's your um, bank account number or your property number or some identifier about you. It actually comes from an organisation that says, we know Liliana lives there, she has lived there for five years, she pays her taxes, uh, her bins are collected, um, you know, and she has... The, so it comes with provenance, it comes with uh, proof so the organisation over here that requires proof that you live at a certain address or that you pay your taxes can look at that and go, we've got proof, it's been provided automatically via a thing called an API, which means computers talking to computers, rather mm -hmm. than you having to fill out a form. And they don't have to spend money paying somebody to go and check it by ringing up your uh, organisation saying, yeah, this person's claimed that, is it true? Yes, that's fine. What you're building is a an audit trail of evidence, of events that prove you are who you say you are, prove that you're entitled to certain things, and prove assertions. And that's a really, really important part of the trust process. So the personal data store is building up trust about you, about your circumstances, about your status. And what it also allows you to do to add alongside is only the stuff that you know, what you like, what you prefer, what your interests are. Um, whether you like to have your deliveries on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, whether you're happy for your neighbour to receive it, whatever those things are that you have to configure a service around, which cannot be encoded by somebody else. Because there's no point in Amazon saying, well, Liliana usually has stuff dropped at the office. You know, somebody else is delivering to you, say, I wouldn't want that delivered to the office. I want it to be delivered private and I want to go and collect it from a box. So what it allows you to do is blend that unique data that is your opinion, your preference, your views, with evidence that can come from somewhere else. And you know that evidence could be uh, proof of uh, your location, bank transactions, credit card transactions, categorization. And over the top of it, you're adding your context. So if you looked at your expenditure, for example, uh, or the phone calls that you made or where you were, if you want to personally encode that behavior and say, I was out at a social event, I was at a work event, I was travelling to work, um, I was buying a train ticket, you know, whatever it may be, you can categorise it. You can categorise that activity so that you get the whole sense and context of your life because whilst the financial institution can say you spent money on travel, they don't know why you travelled, um, whilst you can have location data about you, uh, the organisation that's accumulating your location data can't really infer meaning from it. Over time, they might say you make that trip every day, Monday to Friday, so you're possibly going to work, right? But equally, as one of your colleagues was telling me, it might have been going every day with her daughter for cancer you know, treatment. So ultimately, you can set the context of your life over the top of the proof. And I think that's a very empowering thing. And that's what a personal data store allows you to do under your control for life and as uh, one of my uh, colleagues pointed out when he was talking to uh, a politician who thought he didn't need a personal data store as he said I've got this fabulous app from my mobile phone company that tells me how much I spend gives me charts and graphs and itemized calls and he happened to notice that it was only six months of data and he said well that's very interesting he said what about well, how long have you had a mobile phone oh i've had one for 10 years he 
You say, well, where's the history of your life? Oh, well, I only just moved to this supplier. Well, where's the rest of it? Oh, well, I lost all of that when I left them. Now, that's a tragedy, isn't it? You imagine you lose all the research you did because you moved universities. You know, you, oh, exactly. Yeah. You know, life is about building experience and building evidence. And a personal data store allows you to have what we call a longitudinal record of your existence, irrespective of your service provider, irrespective of where you work. You've got a copy. And it's a copy with evidence. So it's proof of existence, proof of capability, proof of experience. Yeah, this possibility to prove and carry on the proof with you, it's amazing. And I'm sure that at this point, the audience might be wondering um, how it's sustainable. How do you create a business model on the top of these personal data stores? Oh, well, I'm very pleased you asked that because every time the conversation of personal data comes up, nine times out of ten, people think it's about monetization of the data. Mydex does not monetize personal data at all. It has no involvement in personal data. And we see ourselves as a piece of infrastructure, almost like a utility, in as much as we work for you as a private individual, as a citizen, and you get our services entirely free of charge, and you have to give nothing up to get those free services, not the Google model of free email, but in return they get to mine your emails it's, or give you, give you adverts. So we have to fund the operation of our community interest company through charging what we call subscriptions or connection fees to our platform to organisations. And it's a one-off connection fee for the organisation to connect to an individual. 60 pence, we say in the UK, 60 cents here. Mm. Um, and each year after that, it's 15 cents. And at 60 pence per customer, as a one-off connection fee and 15 pence or 15 cents a year, it is minute. It's, uh, in mathematical terms, is considered a rounding error. So the uh, economics of running the platform when you've got millions of people on becomes very, very sustainable. What's coming next? I'm sure have all heard uh, of artificial intelligence and machine learning. We don't know what is it yet, yeah, we don't know but what it is. we have heard. But there is one very clear challenge that's not dissimilar to personal data. At the moment, what we're seeing with AI and machine learning is organisation-centric approach to providing consumer services or understanding citizens. The individual is having to use something like Siri or Google Home or Alexa. And as we all know, they are products owned and controlled by corporations that have their own agenda. I'm not saying it's evil empire, but there is some fantastic cartoons of somebody saying, Alexa, please order me nappies. Yes, giving you Amazon Basic. No, I'd like the other ones. No, 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 we'll give you Amazon Basic. We'll give you a half price if you buy those. So our, part of our research work is around the idea of something called a personal AI, a thing that understands you, can work with your data, can implement your preferences, and can go and have an argument with Siri or Alexa or any AI, because otherwise we're going to be out of step again, aren't we? We're just getting hold of our data, and the data that we're getting hold of, organisations are now putting algorithms and computer says no or, or whatever comes out, and suddenly we're, again, disempowered because decision-making is happening at a pace. Why did GDPR see uh, the right to have an algorithm explained to them? Uh, because they could see the threat and, and the risk of it. So personal um, 
AI, we think, is something that your child might start with that works for them and grows up and knows them and you have to help you with life. So a personal agent, not as conceived by Google Home or Alexa, but something genuinely personal to you. I think the other part of uh, it is this mission for a sense of coherence. You get all of this data, you make your life easier, applying for things, being able to see things, but actually, by removing the effort, you create some space, white space, in which you might want to look at your life and understand. So at the moment, we live in a world where everyone's downloading app after app after app. Every one of those apps has a different user experience. And you've got to, it's the menus to the left or the right, or the buttons are a certain color. We think the experience layer, how it looks and feels, is something you should control. So actually, we think apps will be dead. And what will happen is it will be content and value-added services will be plugged into an independent experience layer is the word we use for it. And we've been building the framework for that so that anyone who wants to deliver a diabetic uh, screening service or wants to give you advice on how to get out of a riot in Barcelona, uh, you know... <laughs> who hasn't got access to somebody as good as you to help me talk, talk to the taxi driver or whatever it may be, can actually get real knowledge, but it's delivered in an environment where they, can, they know where it's going to appear because they're in control of the experience. And therefore, the brand is not controlling your experience. The state is not controlling your experience. You have your own bubble. So we think that independent experience layer, personal AI, configurable services. Definitely, this is an important matter, this idea Absolutely. of avoiding fragmentation of our digital lives exactly. and getting more insights and better knowledge of, of, uh, of our, how, how do we look like in, in the digital domain. All right, so thank you for coming, David. Thank you for sharing um, all your experience and also your forward thinking. And we wish you a lot of success. And for Thanks. the audience, just uh, we will recommend you that you download the report, My Data, My Rules, where you can find more information about MyDex. Thank um, you. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I would commend your audience to the report. I think it's a very thorough piece of work with fantastic references and examples and should inspire anybody. Wow, thank you for your kind words. So thank you for listening and see you soon. Thank you. If you still want to learn more, remember, you can register on our platform, dobetter.asade.edu. That was all for today. Until next time, thank you. Do Better.